Well, we've been working our way through it open last week with Romans 9. As I said, um, one of the more um, maybe difficult chapters in the whole Bible, 9, 10, and 11, go together. We saw that Paul made a transition out of chapter 8, and 9, 10, and 11 uh, we'll see go together. And uh, Ty and I will try to do our best to tie those together as a, a unit. Uh, last week, we started looking at Romans 1, and I will look at the first six verses again. But I just remind you uh, a couple of things that uh, we have to keep in mind as we're studying this chapter, and really anything. But, but in this chapter in particular, God is not the author of sin. And we probably won't get into it this week, but we'll get into it next week about uh, those who have been predestined uh, or chosen uh, as the scripture seems to indicate, to, uh, to wrath. And so uh, keep that in mind. And then also, also keep in mind that we see here Paul, um, this isn't just an intellectual study. He had a great, a great desire to see the lost come to Christ, and particularly the Jews. But um, So keep those two truths. They're not ex, uh, ex- mutually exclusive. The sovereignty of God, as we will see in chapter 10, does not negate human responsibility, and we've already seen that in chapters 5 and following. So uh, let's just read here. Um, let's start with verse 1. I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bear me witness. This is the Apostle Paul speaking in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and continued grief in my heart, for I wish that I could, that myself were accursed, from Christ for my brethren and for my countrymen. So here's Paul's great love for the Jews. He himself was a Jew. We don't have time to look at that, but he was saved or uh, called uh, from being a Pharisee that hated Christ and persecuting the church to here now the apostle to the Gentiles. But he still has this great uh, desire to see the Jewish nation or the Jews as individuals come to Christ. And he says, those are Jews according to the flesh. And then in verse 4, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all and eternally bless God. Amen. So we just stopped there for a minute. We started looking last week at the um, six or seven things that are mentioned here between verses 4 and uh, verse 5, that what the blessings, as it were, that were given to the uh, children of Israel. And he says here, uh, pertain to the adoption. Uh, We looked at that last week. That's not the same adoption that we see uh, Paul talking about in Romans 8, that you now become a son of God. This is the adoption that God chose Israel from all other nations. We went back to Deuteronomy and looked that out of all the nations, uh, God chose, Deut- uh, chose Israel for his own good pleasure to, to bring about uh, the giving of the law and all these things we will see here uh, in just a, f- a few minutes. Uh, notice he says in verse, uh, in the third one they see there is uh, the glory, as I said, uh, is, the, uh, is probably the, the Shekinah that came down in the temple. That's probably what he's talking about uh, when... Solomon uh, dedicated the temple 
In 2 Chronicles 7, we see that the glory of God, as it were, came down into the, to the new temple. And so probably when you read this, it's, it has to do with the Shekinah, the presence of the God with the children of Israel. He wasn't with any other nation. He didn't bring his presence to the Amalekites or the Amorites or whoever else that you can name. He brought his glory uh, to the nation of Israel. It may also go back to when they came out of uh, Egypt, the, the, the light by, uh, by night, the glory in the cloud uh, that would block them. And then he says here the covenants. Uh, notice there in verse um, 4 also, the covenants. Uh, these are legally binding uh, promises or uh, contracts. We talk about a promise and a con. We'll talk about promises in a little bit. Covenants are more of a contract. Uh, oftentimes they are, in the Old Testament, they were sealed with a blood sacrifice. And it was, uh, God would make a covenant with Israel. Uh, turn back to Genesis chapter 12. This is the first covenant uh, that God made with Abraham. And uh, it's often called the Abrahamic covenant. And um, depending on how you view this covenant is going to determine how we interpret chapter 11 of Romans. Uh, and so uh, keep that in mind. Uh, notice here in uh, God speaking, chapter 12, verses 1. Now the Lord said to Abram before he was turned to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house into a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and bless you. By the way, keep in mind here, we talked about last week, Abraham had other brothers. And, and so we, when we talk about sovereignty of God, God called Abraham, right? He didn't call his brothers. He didn't call his father. He called Abraham. And so we see that right here. He says, the Lord said to Abram, not to the other brothers, get out of your country. And then he says in verse, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We'll see that as part of that blessing will be that Christ comes from the uh, Jewish nation. But this is, this is a covenant. If you look at chapter 15, uh, God takes animals and he sacrifices them and uh, makes a covenant with Abraham. Uh, it kind of expands on this chapter uh, 12 covenants. So uh, that's probably when he says we have the covenants. No other nation, again, received these covenants uh, no, that from God. They never heard directly from God. Uh, what else would be in mind here? What, came, what other covenant came through the Jews? The, the, the what? The David covenant, yes. But what, what's, the, what's the one that we, we, we really are blessed by? The new covenant, right? The new covenant. We read that in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31 and uh, uh, ref refers to that in Hebrews. Notice, turn to Hebrews with me a minute. Hebrews chapter 8. We are part of this covenant. Um, if we are in Christ, Hebrews 8. Let me just read a few verses here. Uh, let me start with verse 6. 
But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. This is talking about Christ. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. If the first covenant really was that good, there wouldn't necessarily be a second covenant. And then he says here, because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, say the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers on that day, when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. And then he goes on down, uh, and he says in verse 13, and he says, A new covenant he hath made, the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And of course, probably that's referring to 70 A.D. when uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. But for us, and Paul's whole uh, emphasis in the first eight chapters of Romans is the new covenant. We don't live under works. We're saved by faith. We're saved not by the law. And so Paul is... Uh, uh, is uh, looking and focusing on that. So when we see the covenants here, um, we definitely see uh, Mary. Um, it's interesting in, uh, in Luke chapter 1, you have to turn it, let me just read this for you here. Uh, this is uh, Mary's words uh, after um, in, in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 54, and it says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So Mary's given this, uh, this, uh, this praise to God for her remembrance and her keeping, his keeping of the covenants with Israel. Any, any thoughts or questions on that? As Tim said, that, of course, the Davidic covenant where uh, Jesus comes, and we'll talk about that a little later. Is that... Is that kind of clear? These are promises given directly to Israel. Um, and then uh, number four, uh, we see here, uh, let me find it, the giving of the law um, and the service of God and the promises. So he lists three more. Uh, the giving of the law was probably, what would that be? Yeah, the Ten Commandments. Any other nation get the Ten Commandments? No, just Israel, only Moses. And so... Um, that, I think that's probably uh, what it has in mind here. I think it also has to do um, with the uh, moral and, and civil laws that God gave. There was some uh, restrictions on food, and God gave those, uh, those to Israel and Israel alone. And so um, these are the promises or the law that he gave uh, the like I said, the law of marriage and food. Remember, they were forbidden from intermarrying with other nations. And so he may have that in mind here. And then he says service or worship of God, some translations. Uh, I think this points to uh, the tribe of Levi and the temple, the tabernacle workers and the priest. Um, if you turn back to Numbers chapter 3, remember God... Um, there was 12 tribes. We'll talk about that a little later. But of one of those tribes um, is uh, Aaron and Moses. And Aaron is the high priest. And 
And in verse 5, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before me, Aaron the priest, that they may serve him, and they shall attend his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle and the meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. And so probably what he has in mind here, the service, that, that the, the Levitical service that God took one of the 12 tribes and dedicated them directly to breaking down the tabernacle, to carrying the tabernacle, to setting it up, to attending all the sacrifices, to keeping the candles lit, to shining the brass uh, and the gold uh, candlesticks. And so, uh, again, this is uh, something that, that they, uh, they enjoyed. Uh, this um, could also point to the true worship. No other nation was given the, the call to worship God. Well, they were all called to worship God, but specifically it came to Israel. And so what he might have in mind here is the true God is revealed to the Jews um, at the expense of other nations. The other nations did not receive the same blessing to, uh, to have one of their uh, fathers speaking with God. And then, birth, and then it says the promises, uh, promises are similar to covenants, uh, but not necessarily a legal contract like a covenant. The promises were made uh, in Genesis 3.15, the first promise that there would be that, uh, that uh, the Lord, the coming one, would bruise the heel of Satan and Satan would, uh, uh, he would bruise the heel of Christ and that Christ would bruise the head of Satan uh, there. That's, that's probably the promise he has in mind. Uh, the promise of the eternal king. Uh, Tim kind of talked about this. Look at Second Samuel a minute, uh, chapter 7. Again, Paul's building his case here for all the blessings that Israel has. They've been given. And really, you may say, hey, you're without excuse, right? Uh, you have been given all these things. Uh, in Second uh, Samuel 7, we'll take time to read all the verses, but start with verse 8. Now, therefore, thus uh, shall you say to my servant David, thus saith the Lord, I took you from the sheepfold and following the sheep to be the ruler over my people over Israel. And I have been with you uh, wherever you have gone and cut off all your enemies. And then in verse 12, and when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you and I will come from that will come from your body and I will establish your kingdom. Notice, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of his sons. And then in verse 15, my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever, and your throne shall be established forever. Obviously, Solomon dies, so what does this point forward to? It has to point forward to Jesus Christ, right, to Jesus Christ's kingdom. And so the promises of, uh, were uh, given to Israel and certainly the promise that uh, there was going to be a new king, King Jesus, was going to come. And where does he come from? What line? The lion of the tribe of of Judah, right? The line of the tribe of Judah, and so one of the twelve. So we see that Christ uh, comes from that. Um, 
there's also the promise of the gospel that came through the Jews. Uh, notice what Peter says here in Acts chapter 2, uh, in verse 38 and 39. Uh, interesting when you start looking at this. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who were far off, that's the Gentiles, as the Lord our God calls us. So the promise of the gospel came through the Jews. Of course, obviously, it went to the Gentiles uh, from there. But Peter reminds them in Acts chapter 2, the promise is to you and to your children, and, uh, and you rejected it. So, uh, again, we see uh, the promises. All these were given to Israel and, uh, and no other nation. And he says, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all eternally blessed by God. So any, any questions and thoughts on the first four verses about what Israel has been given, about Paul's love for Israel, his desire to see them come to Christ? Okay. All right. Hearing now, let's look at verse 5 then again. We see uh, here's the greatest promise of all. Uh, it's also a clear statement of the sovereignty and deity of Christ. Uh, the uh, Notice here, he says, one of the things they were given of whom are the fathers. When you see the word fathers, it's the word patriarch, uh, and it refers to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll see that as, it, as, it, as this chapter unfolds. So, But when you see the word fathers, that's what it means. God called Abraham. He didn't call Muhammad. He didn't call some other prophet. And then through Abraham came Isaac, and then through Isaac came Jacob, and through Jacob the 12 tribes. And out of the 12 tribes, ultimately, Jesus Christ uh, comes into the New Testament. And so notice what else we see here. Um, not only the... Um, not only the... Uh, that. That the, about the fathers, of whom are our fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. Again, that is through the Jews, Christ came. Uh, and notice here what he says, how Paul finishes this. Speaking of Christ, what a clear, absolute uh, testimony of the sovereignty and eternality of God. He says, speaking of Christ, who is over all, over all. 1 Corinthians, let's look at 1 Corinthians a minute. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul uh, picks this thought up as he's writing to the church of Corinth. In verse 27, notice what Paul says. For he, speaking of Christ, has, he has put all things under his feet. And when he says all things are under his feet, it is evident that he has put all things under him is expected. And now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who has put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So here's the speaking of Christ. He is ruler over all. He's been given all things. Uh, anybody remember Matthew 28, 18? What does Jesus say? All what has been given to him? All authority. All authority over heaven and earth has been given to him. And so Paul picks that thought up here, speaking of Christ. He says, 
who is over all. And then notice there, um, he says, eternally bless God. The NIV says, God over all forever being praised. Uh, Colossians 1, uh, we again pick this up and, and we see uh, Paul picking this thought up again about the, uh, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. In verse 15, he says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation? For by him all things were created that are in heaven and earth and that are on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So Paul gives just a little taste of this in Romans about the glory and the beauty of Christ. Here is, he's talking about Israel, but he doesn't. He closes out with this with this statement about uh, Jesus Christ. Christ came through the Jewish line. He's he's going to be the ultimate king, but he's also notice he, eternal, and he's overall. He has all sovereignty. There's no nothing that could compare to him in all the universe. Again, I'll pause here for a moment. Any thoughts on that? Again, Paul's building here. He's building his case uh, in chapter uh, 6, or uh, chapter 9 here. All right, let's look at verses 6. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. All these promises were given Israel. Covenants. They were given all these things. All. Even Christ came through them. And they still rejected him. Uh, and what we talked, I think Tim mentioned last week, he came unto his own and his own received him not, according to John. And so, uh, again, Paul's building his case. I love Israel, but... Here's why they have rejected. So thank you for that. Verse 6, notice here. It says, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Here we go. We're going to get into it now because this is where it really starts about um, how, what, what the Jews and, and, and what we know about the, uh, God's eternal purpose. Verse 7, nor are they all children because they are seeds of Abraham. And then uh, he makes these arguments. And Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. Keep that phrase in mind. Verse 9, for this is the word of promise. At that time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet born, here we are, having done nothing any good or evil for the purpose of God according to election might stand, that the works of him who calls. It is said of her, the older shall serve the younger, verse 13, for it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. So here's Paul making his transition. You can almost see him um, going back. Uh, on his statements, he has this love. They, Israel's rejected. 
God in the first six, five verses. And then in verse six here, uh, Paul maybe is, has the idea that some will be um, fear that his sorrow and grief uh, are so bad, uh, leaving the idea that God uh, had completely rejected Israel and the promises and covenants uh, that Israel had failed. I think that's what Paul's trying to emphasize here. Uh, he's looking back on the first five verses. And so he goes on here to explain uh, why God would make a distinction between all Israel and true Israel. Keep that in mind. All Israel and true Israel, um, we see that. In the New Testament, we have the distinction between the true church and the professing church, right? There are many who profess on that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not done these things? And Jesus will say to them, what? I never knew you. So in the New Testament, we have the true church and the professing church. Many Jews received physical blessing. Uh, verses 4 and 5 uh, shows that. But all did not receive the spiritual blessing of salvation by faith alone. If you go back to Romans 4, that uh, Paul uh, Ty um, brought us through, again, all this ties back, right? Paul's been building this from Romans 1 all the way through. So we have to keep going back. Romans 4, 13 and 14, Paul makes this. For the promise that he would be an heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, right? Through the law, but, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, Faith is made void and a promise made of no effect. Keep going back to that. It's the Jews received the law. That doesn't mean they were children of true children of God. And, and, uh, and Paul, again, is, is making this case. It is important to note here that Paul's words in verse 6, um, uh, he says, But it is not that the word of God had kept made of no effect. He's not making some vindication of God here. Paul's point is that God uh, did not make his promise to the patriarchs. He kept his promise, he, but his promise went through specific patriarchs, not the whole nation. And, and, and we'll see that as we, we move on. Um, there are really two Israels. They're all of Israel by birth and Israel by the new birth. And so we have to keep, again, keep that in mind. And Paul's going to build his case here. Hendrickson, in his commentary, says, The promise had indeed been made to Israel. That's all Israel. The promise was never meant to be realized in the entire nation, but only the true Israel uh, and we, uh, that we saw. Go back to Romans, again, chapter 2. Uh, again, Paul's building his case. He's already mentioned this, but... Uh, this is chapter 2, verse 28. Paul saying, For he is not a Jew who is outwardly, nor is circumcised, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who was one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, and the spirit, not of the letter, which praise is not from men, but from God. You can circumcise yourself all you want, and you would be a Jew in the flesh, but you're not a true son of God until what? Salvation by faith alone. And so Paul is saying, even looking back in the Old Testament, 
many Jews would say they would claim to be Jews, but they were not believing Jews. There's a separation here. And as hard as that is to understand, uh, it, it is clear uh, not all Israel is Israel, as we've seen. So any, any questions or thoughts? Because he's going to use that argument. Go ahead, Ty. all saw the same thing, didn't they? They all saw the Red Sea parted, departed. They all saw God bring manna. They ate manna. They all saw the same. I think uh, First Corinthians 10 talks about that. But because of unbelief, unbelief, hardness of heart, they rejected. Um, it's really a warning for us also, right? We and our children and our, and our children's children, have been given so many blessings and we can't take it for granted that because they attend church or because they come to church or that they're going to be in God's kingdom. It, it is, it is, we'll see here, it's by God's sovereign grace and um, we still have human responsibility but uh, we can't take it for granted just because someone's in your family that they're a child of God. Um, no more than if you were a Jew, that you were a child of God. Uh, notice here, um, uh, he, again, uh, in verse 7 and 8, let's continue here. Um, Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children are promised as counted as a seed. Again, he makes this distinction here between the children of the flesh and the children of promise. You can see Paul narrowing it down. Here's all the Jews from all time, and then he's narrowing it down. Um, we know that Abraham had other children. Uh, we'll talk about this in a minute. Abraham uh, was first Abram. He actually had uh, relationships with three women, two wives. There was uh, Sarah, who was... Isaac was born from, which was the original plan, and uh, Sarah and her concubine got together and decided that uh, since Sarah wasn't having children, that uh, she should get together, and they Ishmael's born, and we'll see that that is a problem. And then after Sarah dies, uh, uh, Abraham gets married again, and he has six other, at least sons that we know of um, from Genesis, but Here's, here's the line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through the 12, and then out of Judah comes, comes Christ. So, again, keep that in mind as we go through this. Um, according to Ish, uh, Genesis 1, 25, uh, Abraham uh, married this woman, uh, Kuruthia, I think it is, or Kuruthia, and, uh, but the promise only came through Isaac. Just because Abraham your, was your father does not make you a child of promise. Keep that in mind because Abraham is the father, but it doesn't make him the child of promise. And in verse 8, Paul explains this even more in detail. 
when he says, uh, only the children of promise are counted as the seed. They had um, all had Abraham's human seed, but only Isaac is called the seed, the seed. So all these children, Ishmael, at least six other ones, had Abraham's seed, but the, uh, only Isaac is called the child of the seed or the son of promise. Yeah, you can go back to Genesis chapter 21 and, and look at that. Uh, they all had Abraham's physical seed, but not the, the true seed. Uh, this seems to be true of uh, Israel, all of Israel. Um, they may be his physical sons as Isaac, uh, but not uh, true sons uh, of the seed. So in verse 9 then, uh, we see uh, where we, uh, Paul gets into this. For this is the word of promise at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. This is quoted from Genesis chapter 18. It was not through Hagar, the handmaid of Ish, uh, Ishmael's mother, or uh, through this Caruthia that had six children, but through Sarah and uh, Sarah's seed. God's promise, uh, it's two fra uh, the phrase here, at this time and I will come. Uh, God's promise came at a set time and at a specific purpose so Sarah could conceive and have a son. Uh, remember, Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. And uh, we read this promise at this time. There was a specific time when God intervened. I don't know exactly how that worked. God intervened, but Sarah was able to have, and Abraham was able to uh, get together and have a child, uh, and, and they were old at this time. Uh, turn back to Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 11, the writer of Hebrews, whoever that may be, picks this up, and uh, verse 11, it says, by faith. Sarah herself also received strength to conceive. She was 90. Like you think you would have to receive strength to conceive, right, um, at 90 years old? I think Abraham probably needed a little help himself. And she bore a child when she was past the age, whatever the age was, because she judged him faithful who had not promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in a multitude, innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. So, again, the promise came. Abraham had parents or had uh, brothers, rejected them. Abraham had other children, rejected them. Isaac, and then we're going to see, this is the, the major uh, rejection here that we will see. Um, the, uh, and so in verse 10, uh, Paul narrows it down anymore. He says, not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even our father Isaac. So we're going to see um, it, it narrows down uh, even, even more. God's building his case. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and down into uh, Christ eventually. Verse 10 here, uh, Isaac had two sons with his wife Rebekah, and uh, their names are given in Verse 12 there, Isaac, uh, uh, Jacob, and Esau. And uh, notice here um, what he says. Uh, the promise of God is getting more narrow. Uh, the phrase, and not only this, 
the phrase we see, notice here in verse um, 10, not only this, this refers back to uh, Isaac and Ishmael. Uh, someone may well say, of course, it was Isaac and he came from Sarah, uh, the true wife, but Ishmael was the son of Sarah's uh, handmaiden. And so somebody may make the case, well, of course, uh, but he's, he's saying not only this, they both, actually Ishmael was older, and so uh, it would appear that he would receive the blessing, and he did receive some blessing at Abraham's death, but again, uh, he narrows it down through Isaac, and, uh, and it will get even uh, more narrow here. And in verse 11, um, the, look what it says here. For the children, not yet being born, having done either good or evil, for the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Um, this, is, uh, this is where the rubber really meets the road. When we talk about the doctrine of sovereign grace and God's electing grace, um, we, uh, we see uh, that there's twins here. And we know from the Old Testament they're twins. Uh, Esau is older and uh, Jacob is younger. But uh, God says um, you would think that the natural order would be uh, that the older would be the one. But Jacob says, no, the older shall serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. But here in verse 11, uh, they've not done anything good or evil. They're in the womb. They're, uh, uh, they're, uh, they're, they haven't done anything. Uh, notice the phrase at the end of verse 11. I think these are the, probably the most important phrases to help us interpret the rest of the book or the chapter. Not of works, but of him who calls. Not of works, not of works, but of him who calls. That's Paul's argument from chapter 1 all the way through here. It's not of works, not of works. It's by faith, not of works, not of works. And then now he adds this element, but of him who calls. This is the sovereign calling of God. So it's two things. Can't get there by works, but you also must be called by God to get there. Uh, he made um, his sovereign electing choice. And um, notice the phrase, here's why, not of works, but of him who calls and the phrase above that, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. There's the purpose. Why? Why does he do this? Because he's God, and he can sovereignly choose, and he chooses not, not of works, but it's him who calls. Um, there is, uh, if there's, uh, like I said, if there's any doubt about what he's saying here, uh, look at those two phrases, not of works, but of him who calls. Jacob or Esau were both born in sin. Uh, they were uh, fallen uh, sons of God, Adam, according to Romans chapter 3. Uh, they were also uh, guilty under Adam in Romans chapter 5. And so um, there was nothing good in either one of them. Neither one of them deserved mercy or grace. Uh, they would have um, if it wasn't for God's uh, intervening grace here. So again, I'll stop here. We're about out of time, but we'll look at this next week. Um, 
and this is really the, the, the central argument in verse chapter 9, and then we get into some more um, in verse 18. It says, therefore, he has mercy on whom he will, and whom he wills, he hardens. Again, keep that in mind with, with uh, Jacob and Esau. But here, here we got Abraham, the patriarch, narrows it down, Isaac, Isaac, Esau is older, Ishmael's older, but it goes to Jacob, and then through the 12 sons, and then eventually through Judah. So any, any last comments or thoughts? Um, I know sometimes when we talk about God's sovereign election, it doesn't, we'll talk about this next week, it doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem right, but here's two, two boys, nothing done, they have done neither good or evil, but for the purpose of, of election, God picks one and not the other. Um, by the way, I'll just close with this trivia question. Where were the other twins? Anybody know another twin in the New Testament? Yeah, Thomas. I think it's in John. I don't know, it's in John. He's called Didymus or Dunamis. Didymus. And we don't know anything about Thomas's brother either.